The Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group is an award-winning team with hundreds of successful transactions under their belt. Through their national network, the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group works hard to help families realize the dream of home ownership. As a community advocate, Cynthia Joyner is proud to be the presenting sponsor of Jazz in the Park Huntsville. You can find the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group on the web at CynthiaJoyner.com. Well, the definition of jazz is uh, American's music. Uh, it was born in America, although it's not treated that way. Um, and it's it's so many different things that it's hard to say one thing that it is. But, but one thing that it is is an expression of someone's uh, ideas and feelings into music. And it's always changing, always evolving. It's one of the greatest art forms we've ever had. Jazz. Jazz. Jazz with Kenny Anderson. New York-based sax player, vocalist, and songwriter Paula Atherton has shared the stage with such contemporary jazz notables as, listen to this list, folks, The Rippingtons, Nick Colioni, Chuck Lowe, Cindy Bradley, Brian Simpson, 480 East, David Sanborn, Bob James, Mark Antoine, Hiroshima, Gerald Albright, and Keely Minucci. Paula has also worked in the traditional jazz field, one of the notable performances being a week-long engagement at the Blue Note in New York City with pianist and jazz legend Hank Jones. Paula has performed with Grammy Award-winning singer Dee Dee Bridgewater at the Edinburgh Theater for Palm Springs Women's Jazz Festival, and I'm very happy to say at this very time, Paula is enjoying great success on the charts with a brand new album that I'm actually holding in my hand right now, and I'm going to have to put it down in a moment because it's hot. Can you feel it? <laughs> Paula, I got to put it down right now because it's burning my hand. Welcome to Jazz Woo! with Kenny Anderson, Paula Atherton. What's happening, Paula? Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you. Listen, I can only imagine what it feels like to be in a position right now where you experience some great success on the chart. And I just want to say, first of all, congratulations on a superb project. Can you feel it? Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was a really fun record to make. Tell me a little bit about how this project came to be. Well, I had been speaking to uh, Greg Manning, who I knew uh, from when we were both on Kalimba. I was speaking to him for a while about doing a song together, and he was going to come up with a track. And then I didn't hear from him for about a year. And then all of a sudden he came up with something, uh, which was, can you feel it? <clears throat> He's like, do you like this? I said, uh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> so I wrote the A section and the bridge and uh, he wrote the chorus on that one. And uh, what makes this recording different from some of my other ones is I, I worked with uh, six different producers on it. Mm. So uh, that's kind of an interesting thing to do, especially if you want to, this was my sixth album, and I know a lot of people have more than me out, but <clears throat> I don't want to keep making the same record over and over again. 
working with different producers just maybe takes you out of your comfort zone a little bit and just takes you to another place that you might not ordinarily go. Um, and all artists, I think, want to keep growing. So uh, it kind of enabled me to do that. Yeah, so talk a little bit about the creativity of being in that kind of a space where you have all of these different thoughts, ideas, music makers, and innovation as a part of the experience. What was that like? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because everybody that uh, produces, uh, you know, music in this genre, everybody does it differently. So it's not like you know, there's, there's one way that everybody does something. Everybody thinks about it different. Everybody goes about it different. So um, I, I kind of told you, like, about Can You Feel It? Um, Summer Song, uh, which is my current single, that was completely different. Uh, Nate said to me, Nathan Mitchell, right? He said to me, uh, write a melody and record it and send it to me and I'm gonna create a track around it. So that's what I did. So that's how Summer Song came to be. So that was really the opposite of any way that I've worked with somebody up to that point. Um, Macadina came up with In the Pocket <laughs> and I, uh, I wrote, we co-wrote the melody. It was me, Matt and uh, Lou Jimenez. Uh, all wrote that melody together, but I heard that track and I thought that was really fun. So I wanted to do that. I actually don't have my record in front of me, but uh, let's see. Well, Lou Jimenez does most of my recordings. Oh, uh, One Night in Madrid, the opening track, Bill Heller from the Rippingtons produced that. And uh, I wrote it and he came up with uh, you know, the string ideas in the beginning and uh, he put his own, his own, uh, I guess, signature on that. And we, we do work together a lot. He just played with me in uh, Norfolk, uh, Virginia. And we, we actually played at the Scope Arena, <laughs> which was the size of Madison Square Garden uh, because it was raining outside. And, you know, they said, uh, we have an indoor venue for you. And I thought it was going to be some, you know, I didn't know what it was going to be. But when I walked in there, my eyes were wide open. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a 20,000 seat venue with a jumbotron, you know. Okay, we could play here. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. That had to be, yeah, that, that had to be quite an experience, I would only <laughs> imagine. Was, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was a thunderstorm outside, so that we couldn't play out there. You know, mm. I, I had no idea they were, they were going to put us in an arena. That's mm. I've never played in a venue like that before. Wow. Wow. That had to be something else. You know, uh, you mentioned several tracks on the on the CD and I've listened to the whole CD. Thank you again for uh, extending me the gratitude of having one of these uh, beautiful projects uh, that you now have offered to the world. And I always think whenever I hear uh, a CD, what might have gone into the production of these different numbers, these different tracks and these different songs? I think uh, the question in my mind often comes up, does the artist have a favorite song or was there a particular song that created a particular experience for them 
but I want to start with just saying that the very first track on this album is my absolute favorite, not just because it's the first track, uh, One Night in Madrid. But it really kind of takes me to kind of a Latin, uh, I felt like I was in a Latin samba, merengue. I was doing something as some sort of a Latin influenced experience. And I really want to hear more about how this song came about. Well, um, I, I wrote it and, and I mentioned before that Bill Heller uh, produced it, but my recording uh, of, of my flute was on a day when, um, first I should say, my first uh, top 10 was on this album. I've had, you know, I think eight um, top 30 singles, but I didn't have a top 10 up until this point. And right before my recording session for One Night in Madrid, I got a phone call from my radio promoter. And he said, how's it feel to be top 10 artist on Billboard? <laughs> and I was like screaming, you know, out. I was outside walking my dog and I just completely like lost it. Um, but were, you, were you by were you by yourself, or did people see you having this moment? Well, the the neighbors did. They they're used to it by now. You know, they're used. To it. They're like, oh, it's a crazy lady on the corner. It's, you know, but um, so he he told me that, and I was I was so excited. So we came down, and uh, right after that, I, I recorded my flute part on One Night in Madrid. So if it sounds very spirited to you that's the reason why yeah yeah it's a it's a great lead track to me and uh draws you into the rest of the project which by the way the second track uh is something that absolutely floored me because it's a cover of one of my favorite performers patrice russian's forget me nots um and then you're vocalizing on that um talk about that a little bit because uh that was one of my favorite experiences as well on this project Oh, thank you. Well, I, I always loved Patrice Russian and this song. You know, people have said to me before, uh, you know, you should do you should do that song. So we were talking about it. But when I do a cover, I don't like to just do the song the way it was originally recorded. I try to make it mine. Um, so uh, Lou Jimenez produced that and he came up with, uh, you know, the riff in the beginning and, uh, you know, the whole production on it. So uh, it's, a, it's a fun tune to play live. Um, I'm, you know, a lot of people maybe think I'm a saxophone player and I sing a little bit. I actually have been singing longer than I've been playing. But in this genre, they don't play a lot of vocals. So I don't record as many of them. And, and a lot of my, or a certain number of my instrumentals are actually vocal tunes that I wrote that I'm playing instrumentally. Um, but, but that tune, you know, everybody knows it. So when I play it live, you know, I get people to sing along and it's, it's just a fun thing. You, of course, have traveled extensively sharing your gift of music at so many different festivals uh, around this uh, nation. Uh, you, of course, have a tremendous opportunity to experience uh, the beauty of performing live. And of course, the pandemic came along in 2000 and shut a lot of that down. What was that experience like for you? Or how, what has that experience been like for you? Um, well, you know, when it happened, it was really scary. You know, every musicians were frightened, very frightened because, you know, 
everybody realized that and I, and I realized everything I do uh, depends on me being someplace. And if I can't be any place, I can't make any money except for, you know, sales and artist royalties, you know, passive income, but I, I can't do anything else. So um, it was a really scary time. Uh, I had released uh, the title track of Can You Feel It in January. And the rest of the album was not done. So we finished recording it during that time and released uh, the full release in, in September. I think the 18th. So we used that time to finish recording. And was there, uh, as a lot of people have told me during this time, it's a time of reflection. It's a time of really sort of facing a reality, as you said, that the work just stopped in many ways in terms of the touring. But a lot of people have also uh, in the industry have expressed to me things like, you know, connecting with family, uh, connecting with their inner creativity, connecting with um, another opportunity. I, I've talked to people that said they went back to school and you know, other people who uh, talked about a lot of different things that they learned within the space of that pandemic. Were yeah. there learning lessons for you, learning experiences for you during this time? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, nobody knew when it was going to end, right? So I was like, well, what if it but if it takes a really long time, I have to find some other way I can make money from my house because I didn't know when I could go out again. So I have a music therapy degree. So I took a course on becoming a, a certified abuse and recovery counselor. And I finished all my coursework. I just got to take the exam. Well, it's interesting. Um, and that's, of course, uh, I think one of the backstories that we all carry in our life, that there are these things that drive us, motivate us, and uh, that we kind of land on in terms of areas of interest or expertise or what have you that we can also incorporate into our toolkit as it, yep. uh, as it is in our life. And so that's exciting.
That's Paula Atherton and her number one hit, Summer Song. And now, back to Kenny's conversation with Paula on Jazz with Kenny Anderson. You're a New Yorker. Tell me what that experience is like. We're um, uh, native New Yorkers. And uh, of course, uh, I grew up in New York many, many years ago, left many, many years ago, but still love the pulse of the city. I don't think there's any place better than New York. That's just a personal bias that I have. But <laughs> I just experienced so many things from being there and I long to come back home. What is the pace of things right now in New York? And what is that whole experience of being a New Yorker like for you? Well, right now, it's crazy because as soon as Governor Cuomo said it was OK to have private parties and and corporate functions, everything exploded here. Um, a lot of corporations come here to have functions in the city from all over the world. And uh, when I'm home, I do some of those besides my, my road gigs. So I have a bunch of uh, tour dates that I've been doing. So it's, it's turned into the touring thing. And then as soon as I come home, I have, you know, private party functions, things going on here. And then I get ready to get back on the road and then I come back. So it's been, it's been pretty much like nonstop since June. Since, since that time, I get you. And yes, as yeah. yeah, and as part of as part of uh, this whole, uh, I think this transitional point that we're at right now, where we're I think still kind of trying to figure things out. I mean, the Delta variant is what it is, and uh, it's uh, reminding us about a lot of things in terms of how we need to continue to be mindful about certain kinds of things and just really can't be free. We can certainly feel uh, a little bit more secure about what's happening, but there's so many uncertainties and unknowns about this process. Uh, but uh, one of the things, of course, that I know a lot of musicians are looking forward to are touring again and getting back out on the road. Uh, what are your thoughts and feelings about that as you face that possibility now and uh, opening that up a little bit? Uh, I know that you're going to have those opportunities already on your schedule uh, and you're going to probably have any more. What are you thinking about right now? I'm thinking about trying to be safe. Um, I'm really happy to go out and tour now, but, you know, I'm a little worried. Uh, I, my first tour date was Tulsa, Oklahoma in June, and that was outdoors. But um, and we played in Norfolk on last a week ago, Saturday, and that was endorsed, but that was like spread out because it was uh, an arena. Um, I played a sweet lounge on Thursday in Atlanta. That worried me a little bit. Um, you know, it's we're playing Pensacola, the Gulf Coast Jazz Festival on uh, this coming Saturday, Cindy and I, as the Fabulous Blondes. And, you know, anything, any, uh, you know, dates that we have there outside, I feel more comfortable about the ones that are inside, you know, I'm vaccinated, I wear my mask, I take all my vitamins. Uh, I don't know who is and who is not vaccinated. It's a scary time. I mean, you know, the alternative is to not work. And that of course would be a very difficult alternative. Uh, part of, part of a ongoing assessment of the reality that we're in and certainly uh, something that has to be taken into account. But uh, I think that the cautions that you're taking and at least your sensitivity to the situation is extremely important. 
You share sisterhood with um, Cindy Bradley. I think we've mentioned her a couple of times already, but uh, I just want to affirm the fact that she is also one of my favorite saxophonists. Talk about your sisterhood with Cindy. Um, we've been friends for at least 10 years. Um, we've played on each other's recordings and uh, her agent had said to her, you know, who do you want to work with? And she said me. Um, so we had to come up with a name and, and, you know, we have like a joke between us about the fabulous blonde. So I said, you know, I guess we're the fabulous blondes because we didn't have anything else. And, you know, some people think it's a terrible name. Um, but it's, I don't know. That's, that's what we call ourselves. It's just supposed to be like a tongue in cheek kind of thing, kind of funny. Um, we just have a lot of fun together, hanging out and playing together. And in our show, we do a lot of the recordings that we played on together, each other's recordings. And uh, there aren't a lot of female fronted um, acts, you know, being booked there. There's hardly any women in the festivals in general. I mean, some festivals you look at, there's no women. So I don't know why that is. Uh, but, you know, I think there needs to be more of this sort of thing happening out there. You, of course, uh, are doing something that I think is extremely important and extremely valuable to me as I think about just the whole notion of how musicians uh, share their gift with the world. And that is you are engaged in uh, music education workshops um, with regarding saxophone. And I noticed that you do workshops, jazz workshops around the country, uh, in addition to the music therapy that you talked about. And I wonder what your thoughts are about the value of that type of thing, because I think that is extremely important. It's one of the things that we look at whenever we invite people to be a part of our music festival, Jazz in the Park, which I know you've performed in Birmingham uh, with Bernard Lockhart before. Um, tell me about that whole notion of why is that type of thing important for you? Because you are invested in that process. Well, I mean, in general, I, I try to just do good in the world. And keeping uh, children, keeping students engaged is so important. Music helps their brain, helps them with language and math, and it gives them, it helps them learn discipline and gives them something to feel good about themselves. If they don't have something like that, they look around, uh, uh, you know, online and they find some kind of something bad you know so it you know it gets cut as as being something peripheral uh in new york all the time music and arts education gets cut here in schools constantly and it's so important it's almost more important than any of the core subjects uh so i love doing it i love seeing the look on students faces when they learn something and it makes them feel good about themselves. It's just, it's, it's just a really important thing. So um, I do it online for F2F um, Foundation that I'm, I'm on the board in Houston. And uh, I do jazz workshops in person for Dakota saxophones. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna keep doing that. Yeah, I think that's uh, extremely commendable. I, I love that as being an extension of a musician's uh, work. And uh, again, sharing the gift of music with the world um, 
and like you said, we do those workshops and we bring artists in from all over the world and those students' eyes light up and they are experiencing things in some instances where they would never experience were it not for the fact that we were mindful of the opportunity that we had to present to them. So again, thank you for being in that space and doing that. Also the music therapy space, I'm a mental health professional and I know the value of that type of thing. And uh, I know that you probably are passionate about that, driven about that aspect as well, the music therapy piece. Yes, absolutely. Um, I do some work for music that heals. So uh, I wind up um, working with autistic kids um, play for cancer patients and people in hospice. That's tough. <laughs> when I'm done with that, I, I'm wiped for the rest of the day. I'm, I'm done. It's, <clears throat> it's in a way, um, it's a gift. And it's some of the most important work I do, but it's, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Uh, as you move forward, of course, we're, we're, again, navigating through this challenging time in our lives and the nation and the world. Uh, what's on the horizon for Paula Atherton? Well, I started recording uh, stuff for next year. I'm going to have a release next year, planning on it. I have a single coming out in January, so at least I know that so far. You know, when I think about the event that we do every year, Jazz in the Park, which is a live music concert in Big Spring Park East under the natural skylight of a early fall sky in September on uh, consecutive nights in September where you bring five to six thousand people out, a very diverse crowd, a family friendly event. Uh, we miss those opportunities and we need those opportunities to be able yeah. to come together. And in the midst of this pandemic, I think we've learned a lot about what we value in terms of things that we don't always express appreciation for. And I think that's been one of the learning lessons for a lot of people in this pandemic. Absolutely. What you said is, is very true. We're just trying to, you know, juggle everything that's going on as best we can. Um, I got to tell you, I am just uh, overjoyed with this project. Again, I'm holding this uh, piece of heat in my hand. <laughs> it's called Can You Feel It? Uh, it's by Paula Atherton. She, of course, is, uh, I mean, just smoking up the charts on this album uh, or with this uh, project. And uh, I'm just so happy to see that happening. Uh, Paula, you have a strong social media presence because I follow you on Facebook and uh, notice your post and always sharing your joy and enthusiasm with a congratulatory note whenever I see the great success that you're having right now and uh, the enthusiasm that you have for the craft that you share with so many people around the nation, and around the world. How can people connect with you uh, and uh, let people know a little bit uh, more about how they can really engage? Well, they can follow me on Instagram at uh, Paula Atherton Music, on Twitter at Twitter at, at Patherton One. Uh, Facebook, I have two pages, a fan page and a friends page. And, uh, and they can go on my website, which is paulaatherton.com. And my music is pretty much anywhere you would listen to music, you know, uh, Spotify, Tidal, any of the platforms like that. 
and you can get my music on Apple Music or uh, Amazon. All right. So you're not hiding anywhere. You want people to know that you're out there doing what you do. And uh, I certainly appreciate you spending a little time on the Jazz with Kenny Anderson podcast. Uh, we've had a chance to talk to some really great people. Uh, you, you're now one of the uh, alumnus of this uh, great experience, and we certainly appreciate you for that. Uh, Paula hey. Atherton, her project is Can You Feel It? And again, I'm going to stop picking this up because I'm going to burn my hands here in a minute on this super hot project that Paula has produced. Paula, thank you for being such a gracious uh, guest today and giving us a little bit of time, a little insight and insight into who Paula Atherton is. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you so much for having me. Jazz with Kenny Anderson is a partnership with Jazz in the Park Huntsville and is produced by David Person for David Person Media, LLC. The theme music was written and produced by Kelvin Wooten. Damian Malone provides podcast platform management. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Jazz with Kenny Anderson. The Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group is an award-winning team with hundreds of successful transactions under their belt. Through their national network, the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group works hard to help families realize the dream of home ownership. As a community advocate, Cynthia Joyner is proud to be the presenting sponsor of Jazz in the Park Huntsville. You can find the Cynthia Joyner Real Estate Group on the web at CynthiaJoyner.com.